We were six people with no payroll system or no benefits and people were betting, you know, like, are you really going to pay me? I'm like, we'll make this happen. Welcome to Uptech Report. Now on our founder's journey, I'm joined by Ray Hein, based in California, CEO of Propel. On part one of our discussion, we learned about their platform, uh, which is a cloud-based PLM product life cycle management tool built on the Salesforce. Um, and now we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into hearing Ray's story. Ray, I'm excited to hear, like, how did you get to where you are today? And feel free to go behind five years before that, that led up to where now? Sure. Um, well, I mean, uh, the, the real early, early interesting part of my story is that, you know, I had parents that were both um, in, in kind of the design space. My mom was a drafts person you know, back in World War II. And she was the only woman that, you know, was really helping engineering teams build planes and General Motors, um, you know, in, in a room of 500 guys and, and her. So she was kind of the Rosie the Riveter, you know, back in World War II. And, and my dad was a radar electronic technician. So I've always been in and around, you know, products like that. And then fast forward, I, I got involved in um, engineering and design teams fresh out of school. Um, there was a lot of computer-aided design coming out in the 70s and 80s. So I started there. And then I got involved in management of really helping people think about how do you bring teams together and launch products, you know, collaboratively globally. So in the 80s, the disk drive industry moved to Singapore and Bangkok, you know, early on before we went to China. And I realized, man, it's inefficient if you've got global teams and how do you actually work together? So my whole life has been around, you know, launching products and, um, and, and, and being involved in that side. And, and then I got involved in the software side of helping automate and thinking about team collaboration. And uh, the last piece was I was part of a company called Agile Software in the, in the uh, 90s and in early 2000s that we built the company, took it public, and then ultimately sold it to Oracle in 2007. So it was a 10-year ride. And uh, I, I really enjoy helping companies you know, build teams that can launch products better and faster. So that's my passion. Now, Pro Propel is the first company that you founded and started? Correct. Yeah, it's the first time I've been you know, CEO and founder of a company, um, but I've been on executive management teams probably the last 10, 12 years of, uh, in, in various roles, building, building teams along the way. You're no stranger to leadership. That's, that is for certain. <laughs> for starting Propel, when it comes to, to, to funding, did you get VC funding or a bootstrap? How did it begin? Uh, so I had taken a year off um, between uh, the prior company, Aptus, and, and Propel, and started looking at the, this category that hadn't had a lot of in innovation and realized that it was going to move to the cloud and somebody was going to do it. And there's probably no better person than me. Not my, my ego, I'm pretty humble, but I like, this could be fun. So I knew a, a gentleman named Matt Holleran, venture capitalist at Cloud Apps Capital. He had invested in a couple of, of companies built on the Salesforce tech stack. So he knew the space. And I, I went to him, he knew me and I said, I want to build enterprise PLM, but different PLM on the Salesforce tech stack. And he said, I love the idea. Let's go for it. And literally was, I had a, a mock prototype, a couple of sheets of paper, couple of cups of coffee. And he said, here's a couple of people we need to talk to. If they think it can be done, I'll fund it. So it's one of these crazy stories that it was like a month, you know, of, of conversations. And then it was, let's put this thing together. And I, on April 22nd, 
we were at our, our, our corporate law firm. We incorporated it. Two weeks later, we had ter- a term sheet. Two weeks later, we had our initial $2 million check written by Cloud Apps Capital and Matt. And two weeks later, we had our first three employees plus the three founders. So we were six people with no payroll system or no benefits. And people were betting, you know, like, are you really going to pay me? I'm like, we'll make this happen. So it was amazing. And, and since then, we've raised you know, additional rounds of, of funding up to $28 million in total now. And our last round of financing was November of 18, 2018. And just have a great board and great investors that believe in us. Your story is definitely not the common one. Uh, <laughs> many people can listen to that and say, well, that, that'll just happen to me, but that is powerful to, to know that those stories exist. What would you say though are, could be the biggest mistakes one could make when seeking funding? You know, I think I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I think you have to know your business. So many people think they need funding and, you know, understanding, are you going to compete in a big enterprise market? So we knew ultimately we were going to compete with SAP and Oracle and, and Dassault and Siemens and, and PTC, very big, large companies. So we only had one choice. We needed a plan for venture capital to swing for the fences in the long haul. But there are a lot of companies and a lot of businesses that you can bootstrap it or you don't need that much money. And so I think people think they have to really think that part through of where they ultimately are going to go, how fast they're going to go there. And, um, you know, I think people design a lot of CEOs or founders are like, we're already thinking about the exit from day one. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the wrong move. You have to think about where you're going to be, what markets you're going to be in, and how much money is it really going to take for you to be that dominant leader in that space if you actually break out and one of the lucky guys that, that actually makes it. Getting the funding is, is one piece, but then developing the product is next. How long did you guys spend in R&D and developing the product before you launched it? Yeah, um, we, <laughs> it's kind of fun. We, we started the company April 22nd, 2015. Um, Salesforce's Dreamforce event was October, November. So we had, you know, three or four use cases at the foundational level that we knew we wanted to solve. And Dreamforce is only once a year. So we had, I'd say, a minimum viable demo product by the end of the year for those three or four use cases. And then it was in early 2016 that we had what I would say is minimum viable purchasable product where we could get three or four people, you know, either friends of mine or people that knew me that would trust, but they would actually really write a check. And, you know, when you talk to entrepreneurs and and investors, it's like, okay, you can give away freeware and and find friends that everybody will take something for free. But when people start to pay and then you see, you know, more and more people, that's how, you know, you have a real product. So we've had a, you know, five plus year journey now, but our, our early entry was our first two or three customers were early 2016 that, you know, were willing to pay. Nothing like a good deadline to get a minimum viable demo online. <laughs> and right. then, uh, and then the product itself, getting those first few customers, any tactics or insights you can share um, on making that happen? Yeah, I think um, listening to their needs right up front, and just knowing that, the use case matches really well and that you're not overselling in the early days. It's really, it's really easy to try to, you know, oversell and be a Swiss army knife and, you know, it slices, it dices, it can do Julian fries. It does everything. It's like, no, be very transparent, transparent and, and, and build relationships with those customers. And those, you know, in those first five to 10 customers that we have, 
by and large, the majority are still with us. And we have amazing references and, and, and we just held our propulsion event. We were able to get 15 customers to talk and people love us. You know, it's like, it's like how people love Apple products. We have, don't take my propel away is what we have now because we have those, those trusted relationships. So I would say build trusted relationships from day one. What stats can you share on the growth and where you are now today? You know, we've continued to grow, um, as I said, you know, somewhere, some good years, it's been, uh, you know, 75 to 100, 150% year over year growth. You know, even in a COVID year, we're exceeding our board plans. Um, and and uh, we, we did some minor adjustments, but we're getting tailwinds behind us. So we're achieving all the milestones that our board wanted us to get to. And then there's the board milestones, but then there's my own personal and market milestones. And so we're seeing that we're taking away um, market share from some of the competitors and the legacy people in this category because they're seeing what we do is different in adding value. So we're on track and on plan, you know, to, to do what we want to do. In order to grow, what are some common mistakes you see people make when it comes to marketing and being able to scale? Well, my, my, so there's marketing and sales. I think there's, there's, you know, a couple of things that you got to combine, right? So you talked about getting the product to market and then driving customer success and, and being maniacal about that. Um, you know, I think it's understanding your ideal customer profile. People talk about ICPs and understanding the use cases and making sure that there's clarity there because it's, it's, it's too easy to change direction and, and swallow them down a hill but the more you stay focused and can, you know, downhill and go straight, that I think is key. And um, early on, you know, you want to try a lot of things and you want to fail fast, but you also got to be able to prioritize and stay focused because it's too easy to, to spend a lot of money and then run out of money because you didn't know where you really were trying to go. To be able to continue growing, obviously, a team is is paramount, a good team. Um, have you seen any uh, common mistakes when it comes to hiring, um, whether you've seen it or you've done it, but you've learned from it that you couldn't advise for? Yeah, no, um, great, great question. Uh, you know, I'd say sales and marketing is the toughest part of an organization to hire into, you know, to be to be blunt. Um you know, I, I'd say engineering, customer success, your GNA, you can find great people in those areas. But, you know, we're a very domain-based problem. We solve, you know, something that, that the chief product officer, chief revenue officer, and chief services officer wants to focus on. So finding the domain people and making sure that they, uh, they know, you know, they, they understand the space. And then I'd say one last thing is, is Alexander, is that you go through stages and in the early stage, the people that can have the right risk profile that can build with you are great. And then you need to be able to shift to the next level and the next level. And some people can make the shift and some people can't. So when you're interviewing people, you kind of have to assess um, almost like you think about um, sports teams, you know, who's the right person at the right time to go fill a shortstop position. Cause that's the weakest part on your, you know, on, on the team, you know, but they may not be next year or the year after you may need a great outfielder or a great pitcher. And you need to understand when's the right time to bring the right people on based on the stage of where you are in the company. I imagine as the, the team grows, managing that and the culture changes over, over time. How big is the, the team today? 
We're 65 heading to about 70, 75 people here. And as it grows, what do you see are some of the lessons learned on how to keep the culture effective and working well together? Boy, you know, if you asked me that last year, I'd have a very different answer than in a COVID year, you know, for sure, with everybody working from home. So we shut our offices on March 6th, you know, ahead of in California, it was it was St. Patty's Day, March 17th, that Governor Newsom shut everything down. But we were in Santa Clara, right in the hotbed where all the early COVID cases were being announced, you know, nationally. Um, So for us, you know, we hold weekly all hands meetings um, at Wednesdays at noon. And I think we overshare um, everything about the company in, uh, you know, everybody knows where we are on the business side. We run a, a monthly business review and every business leader provides the three to five key metrics and slides. And we, we share that across everybody in the company. So there are no, there are no real secrets. Gen, you know, generally speaking, obviously we, we say we'll continue to share as long as everybody respects the non-disclosure, but this is how we build a great team. And, um, and we're, it's transparent and trust. And we've got, you know, we span the gamut from people fresh out of college to people, maybe it's their first or second jobs to people that are more like me. And I think um, blending, I'd say three different cultures um, of, because of the age and experience levels and managing that way, that's, that's how we're doing it. So this transparency and trust and, and appreciation of each other. What challenges do you see you're going to need to overcome both internally with the team, um, communication-wise, and externally with your clients and consumers and the way the industry is going? You know, uh, it's a large category. It's the fourth largest software category in the world. So our, our biggest challenge is, you know, we have great customers. They love us. But the market, you know, it, it's about, you know, it's why we're talking to you. It's about getting our brand and getting people to know who Propel is and what great things we can do. So that's probably our biggest challenge that we know we've got, you know, the, the amazing next gen solution like Salesforce and Workday were in their respective areas, but it's getting that out and the brand awareness, number one. And I'd say that the second piece is, you know, while we have, I think, done a really good job on, on being a remote workforce, figuring out the whole return to work and how to manage through that challenge and, you know, I'd say out of those 65 people, we've had a half a dozen people leave California and move to different states because, you know, they want to go back home to Utah or Ohio or whatever. And it's like, well, we hired you here. You know, can you, how well are you going to be able to work remotely or not? So we're figuring that out as we go. You're going to go back to everyone in office, hybrid model? Uh... Well, I, you know, I've always been, I love going into the office. Actually, my wife likes me to get out of the house and go to the office. <laughs> probably the real answer, but um but no, I, I think we'll be in a hybrid model for sure. And um, I was always a, I'm going to go in and work my, my long days in the office. And I like to walk around and talk to people. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've absolutely seen the value of remote work and, you know, the, pl- the, de- the pluses and the minuses. Remote work's awesome because we're making it work. But I'll tell you, people are working harder and, you know, Zoom meeting back to back to back. There are very few gaps. And so employee burnout and managing even in a hybrid model, I think is something that, you know, we have to, we have to, as CEOs and leaders have to really think about how this new model ultimately is going to help us deal with that. And the last piece, you know, Alexander, I talked to all my, especially the folks that are earlier in their career. I'm like, I grew because I worked with people that saw what I could do 
and I built coffee relationships or went to lunch and had very personal, physical relationships with each other and people trusted in me. If we all are in a complete remote world, how do you be, build those deep relationships that I might have a superstar that's 26 years old and he's a rising star that's going to be a director or VP or he's going to be a, he could be a CEO when he's 35, but without the physical relationships and in, in that, it's harder to see how we're going to grow teams and, and career path people and find those bright stars when you're in a complete remote environment. For you, uh, last two questions. How have you gained your insight in leadership? Are there any books, audiobooks, podcasts that you're currently reading to, listening, or would recommend that you've read in the past? Uh, I'm a big fan of Daniel Pink and, you know, drive, um, you know, and how you motivate people. Um, you know, autonomy, purpose, and mastery are the three elements of, of Daniel Pink that, you know, it's always top of mind, you know, for me. So I'm a very people culture oriented, uh, you know, CEO and leader. Um, Dear Founder, you know, it's, it's on my desk. You know, Dear Founder is by Maynard Gibb. Um, he's a VC. Uh, you know, it's letters of advice for anyone who leads management, manages or wants to start a business. So they're like, it's almost like chicken soup for the soul, but for CEO founders, if you will. Um, Box is a cool, is a cool book. Um, it's a little bit geeky. It's about how shipping container made the world smaller and, and the world economy bigger. And so if you think about e-commerce and Amazon or the out-of-the-box experience that happens with an Apple product and how you love that or fighting for shelf space, you know, in, in the retail space. Pretty cool, you know, I like to read some geeky books that make you go, hmm, on that side. But for me, you know, uh, with COVID, we, as a culture thing, we uh, gave all of our employees uh, uh, access to master classes. So, uh, when we had our five-year celebration, we were, you know, we couldn't do a food celebration. We said, hey, one year, you guys, everybody go go learn some really cool new stuff. So um, Jake Shimabukuru, who is a, a, a great uh, a Hawaiian uh, ukulele player. So I have my ukulele. And so I'm I'm watching right. a master class to try to figure out, you know, in, in the, my spare time, I'm driving my wife nuts, but trying to learn how to how to play the ukulele or watching Chris Hadfield on masterclass of how to be an astronaut and goes back to my science, math, physics days. So those are the things that, you know, I, I I'm doing to watch, uh, you know, watch, uh, and, and keep myself, uh, learning continuous learning is, is one of our core tenants as a company. So these are the kinds of things that, that, that I enjoy doing. Last question for you. What kind of technology innovations do you predict we'll see in the near term next year or so and long-term five, 10 years? You know, I think we're seeing, you know, we, we are seeing AI and bots and, and remote process automation. I think that we're going to continue to see, um, you know, that element. And so I think it's, it's really taking, you know, like Snowflake now talking about big data lakes and how you bring data together. But at the end of the day, getting the data together doesn't matter. It's what really comes out on the insights and the outcomes and how do you make it, you know, efficient so that the end, the people that really need to get the insights can distill it in a way that's meaningful to them. And there's just so much data and so many ways to slice and dice it, whether you're using Tableau or all these really super cool visualization tools, um, getting it so I get more time back in my day by taking the technologies that makes it useful and distillable and, and makes it efficient, I think is going to be, you know, key for us technologists to make, 
make our jobs easier and more efficient so we can get more done and show value. Thank you so much, Ray, for sharing your insight and this journey that you have been on. This has been wonderful. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate, appreciate the time. Um, again, this is a part of our, our founder's uh, journey. To learn more about uh, Ray's company, Propel, go to propelplm.com. Our sponsor again for today's episode is TerraLeap. If your company wants to learn how to better leverage the power of video to increase sales and marketing results, head over to terraleap.io and learn more about the new product customer stories. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you guys next time. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you're subscribed to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Mm-hmm.